Hi, I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And welcome to the Backpeg Daily Doha series. And I've forgotten what episode we're at. I think it's 18, Nathan. I missed you the last couple of days. How are you? Yeah, it is episode 18. Uh, I'm good, Laz. Uh, recovering after after that disappointing exit in the quarterfinal. The Dutch going out against Argentina again at a World Cup. But yes, two days off from the football. It's been the first days without any action for two and a half weeks. And it's been a fun two and a half weeks. But it's been good to catch up on some of the some of the sleep and uh, <laughs> reset reset for the uh, the quarters of the semis and the final absolutely and don't we need it after this morning's football I tell you I've taken up a couple of new pods that are interesting 22 goals that um, John Didalizzo recommended oh yes that's a fascinating podcast go on really good storytelling yeah really good storytelling uh, about uh, 22 well I think they're at episode 19 now but 22 World Cup goals throughout the course of history really good really good so shout out to John Didlitzer for that and also Croatia winning this morning in lieu of a sponsor this episode of the back peg is brought to us by the beauty of football that's all we can say I thought you were going to say Amy Martinez there for nah, a second I couldn't do that to you Nathan <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, the beauty of football. That's why we love the game so much. And two heartbreaking quarterfinals this morning. And different, very different in style as well. Very different in style. That Croatia-Brazil game, well, actually, both quarterfinals this morning were absolutely absorbing for different reasons. The quality of football in Croatia versus Brazil was incredible. Insane. For Croatia to... Do you want to start there? Do you want to start with Croatia and Brazil? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Give me a chance to think about something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you need it, buddy. I know you need it. Um, Croatia, Brazil. The way that Croatia played simple football by always being an option, like their midfield, like Modric coming into the back line and then receiving, being open at all times. Likewise, Kovacic and... Um, uh, oh. I've forgotten the other midfielder's name. It's just Brozovic. Bro- that's it, right? The way that they were open, receiving the, the uh, always being an option, so that Croatia could could play out, and basically Brazil were happy at one point just to to let them have the ball, which is really odd. You don't really see that that often. I, I remember we said uh, when we were previewing this quarterfinal that. This would pose a test to Brazil. We just don't know exactly what kind of test, and it would bring out the best in Croatia, and that Croatia would rise to the challenge. I think we've seen it. I think we've seen it. That was just an incredible football game all round. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, really, really strong. And uh, you're quite right to uh, single out Luka Modric. He's just so good at finding that extra bit of space that he needs in midfield. He just peels off into the wide areas, picks up the ball, and the quality of that right foot is left as well, to be fair. And he just offers something that no one else in this Croatia side can. Just that level of quality is just amazing uh, that he possesses. And it's a big part of why Croatia are going through to the semi final. Yes, they didn't score uh, in the 90 minutes. Um, but you could just see the quality from the, the entire way through was brilliant from Luka Modric as well as the rest of the Croatian team. Yeah, look, they were mis- they miss quality up front. And if they had someone like a Mandzukic, it'd be a different uh, ball game. Yeah, this is what we talked about on the last episode as to why we thought Croatia might just fall short in this game, that they didn't have that quality up front, that, like that star player like Mandzukic. But they didn't really need one today. So they managed to uh, just get over the line. And Croatia shut off just for one minute, and it was Modric, just on Neymar, 
just one. It just didn't go with him, right? I mean, it was up until like up until full time of the ninety minutes. It was just an absorbing game, right? And nil all. But it wasn't. It was just so fascinating to see both teams go at each other in their own style. And Brazil actually showing a lot of respect for Croatia, which was uh, interesting to note. Then the extra time period happens. Brazil go up ahead. And uh, with Neymar's, Neymar started that goal. Modric just doesn't track his run. And, you know, the ball finds uh, Neymar's feet and he uh, fin- he took the finish very well at the near post. Lovakovic tried to make himself big, but just... Um, couldn't stop the uh, couldn't stop the shot. Yeah, into the roof of the net, and we thought at that point Brazil would be able to see the game out, but it wasn't to be. And we have to talk about their tactics for this second half of extra time. That they still sent people forward, and Fred was up amongst the, the forwards and the strikers at times. And I don't know what what Tite was doing because the way the goal came out came about for Croatia. They just committed so many players forward. It's 117 minutes on the clock. You're 1-0 up in a World Cup quarterfinal against a side renowned for not giving up, always finding that little bit of extra extra to get them over the line. And you left yourselves exposed so much in a four-on-four on the break. And Yeah, that was crazy. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, you're right there, Nathan. Absolutely crazy. When the ball swung left, I go uh, like I thought, no, this can't can't be happening again, and it did. And Petkovic was brilliant. I mean, yes, the shot took a deflection, but he had to get he had to get to it, and he did. And the thing is, Brazil should have been out of sight by then. Absolutely, yeah. The amount of chances they had in that game, yeah. to to go to score the second mm. and wrap the game up. Yeah, I don't think Croatia would have come back from two 0 down. We'll never know. But the way the game was going, it looked like they were sort of hanging out for one chance and. They took it when it came. And Lavakovic again in the shootout, the hero. Not only the shootout, he was amazing during the game. 11 saves. Crazy, crazy. Man of the match, again. Well-deserved, well-deserved. You know, kept Croatia in the game. And, you know, all Croatia needed was one attempt on goal, which came in the 117th minute. And they put it away with some fortune. But uh, you could tell once it got to penalties, there was an area of resignation there. Croatia don't, do not lose penalty shootouts in the World Cup. No, that's the thing. When you're facing Croatia in a knockout game, if you don't beat them in 90 minutes, you might as well shake hands and go home because there's only going to be one winner. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy record. I mean, only the Argentinians who have added to their penalty shootout wins today and the Germans have more penalty shootout successes than Croatia, whose first World Cup was 1998, dear mind. Yeah, wow. It's an unbelievable record. And this Croatian side, just at this tournament, going through this morning on penalties against Brazil, penalties against Japan, a nil-nil against Morocco, a nil-nil against Belgium. Yes, they put some goals past Canada, but they just know how to get the job done, don't they? Without looking too flash, without looking like the best team you've ever seen. And if you if you didn't look at results and you just looked at the 90 minutes, maybe you would think, oh, they're not too much, but they just know how to get the job done. Well, you know, they were uh, World Cup runner, runners-up, right? So, like you said, they know what they need to do. You know, they've a um, um, successful nation and, and a great point in case to, um, you know, for uh, every nation to have a look at and see how they can regenerate what is it about this Croatian side that um, where they can regenerate talent and develop talent, bring them into the fold, and they all have a similar um, a similar work ethic and attitude? They're all on the same page. It's just incredible, An incredible story. Yeah, it really is. And we we should talk about Brazil now that they've been dumped out of the tournament at this quarterfinal stage. An early exit uh, by all accounts. So my pick to win the whole thing, but it's not to be. And they were looking really good up until this morning across the tournament and today they just uh, they came up against a, a good side the first real 
a good team that they came up against Brazil and they didn't rise to the occasion. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. And But I do fancy the chances for 2026, that's for sure, because that side is quite young. Yeah, I think Neymar might hang up the boots, but there is so much talent ready to replace him in this lineup. And I want to talk to you, Laz, about their recent World Cup results, Brazil. In 2006, they lost to France 1-0. 2010, they lost to the Dutch 2-1. 2014, these are all in the quarterfinals, by the way. They beat Colombia 2-1. Then they went on to lose 7-1 to Germany. Last World Cup, they lost to Belgium 2-1 and this morning's exit. It seems like as soon as they come up against a decent European team, they falter. Yeah, yeah. And look, that's that's... You're right there, Nathan. You're right to point that statistic, that um, that history out because it seems that Brazil have a fear of these European teams, the quality European teams. They shouldn't, though. They should not This Brazil all. team on paper is the, one of the best squads at the tournament, if not the best. Yeah, my question is this then. Let's just take this tournament in isolation. Belgium in 2018, different story, right? Compared to Belgium of 2022, right? 2018 was Belgium's opportunity to win the World Cup if they were ever going to win it. I think we can agree on that because that was when they were at their peak. This current Brazilian side played against two of Europe's toughest teams, right? Although, you know, Switzerland were found wanting in the round of 16. But we considered that coming into the tournament, Serbia and Switzerland were going to pose a problem for um, for Brazil, right? Not, not to defeat them, but to pose a problem to them, a challenge. Brazil took care of those challenges and quite comfortably, really, without actually, without really stretching themselves. What is it that when they get to this stage, they decide, you know, they just uh, decide to clamp it up. They started a little bit apprehensive, I found. Like, they took a little while to get into the rhythm of the game. And that just gave Croatia more confidence. And actually, you know, you could see that. But Croatia were very clever, I have to say, that uh, tactically... They were uh, they were brilliant. They executed that game plan to a T, and it was just simple football, right? Brazil were actually quite content not to actually go for a battle in the midfield. I'm surprised. One thing that Tite I think got wrong in this game is perhaps putting Fred and Casemiro in the midfield. Yes, attack like you know, if you're going to approach this game a bit differently, why not do that to actually wrestle control of the midfield and 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 make. Croatia play deeper, right? Not let them just have possession of the ball and let them try and come forward. It looked like Croatia was able to gain territory very easily with moving the ball and just always having options open. So that's where I think, um, I really think that Brazil actually allowed Croatia to play themselves into the game and gave them a bit too much respect when they really needed just to be strong in midfield and, and nullify the, the the movement of Croatia. I mean, how good was um, the right-back for Croatia this morning, the Celtic player, Juranovic? How good was Juranovic this morning? He did not stop. I mean, there were plenty of players that you could – you know, that you could, Guardiola was just immense. Lovren was great, but they weren't just doing their jobs defensively. They were also looking to go forward wherever they can and, and looking for the play that was, you know, that was making themselves an option and being available. When you think about it, it's actually quite simple football. You just got to be disciplined and fit enough to do it. And one thing you can say about the Croatians is they've got enough miles in their legs. Yeah, the Croatian defenders, as you mentioned, they're they're brilliant. And Sosa coming back in today made a a big difference. Not that Barisic had a bad game against Japan, but Sosa is just another level. And they were holding out for large periods of the game against Brazil. And yes, Brazil looked lively at times. And yes, they obviously scored first in extra time. But for the most part, Croatia looks really good at the back, and that's going to hold them in good stead for their semi-final. Mm, yeah, I agree. Should we talk about their opponent? 
Oh, well, yes. We don't have yes. to. We don't have to. I mean, I think. All right, moving should. on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan, I feel for you this morning. Um, yeah. Where do you want to start with yeah. the Dutch against the Argentina? What is it about these clashes that brings out the best in both nations and this rivalry? Like, it, it, I can't think of anything historic aside just from football, but it actually goes to other sports like hockey and other sports as well. What is it about the Dutch against the Argentinians? Yeah, it's just it's just this long going rivalry, isn't it? And there's so many clashes in football down the years. Most recently, the 2014 semi-final where that went to penalties, and unfortunately, Argentina went through on that day as they did this morning. And it's just a, just a good rivalry, I think. There's nothing that I know of that comes back to any sort of non-sporting reason as to why there's such a rivalry. Like, for example, like England and Argentina is always a rivalry. Yeah, that's for that's different for, reasons. For other <laughs> other reasons, yeah. There's there's nothing like that for the Netherlands yeah. and Argentina, as far as I know. Yeah. Yes, the Dutch going out this morning to Argentina. And I must say, straight off the bat, Argentina deserves to go through based on the 120 minutes plus a shootout. They were thoroughly deserving of their 2-0 lead. And yes, Lou Van Gaal rolled the dice and sent on Vegas and De Jong and got a, a great comeback going. And um, you thought at 2-2, well, I thought at 2-2, heading into extra time that they'd be able to go on, perhaps do something in extra time because they were in the ascendancy, they had the momentum. And what we saw instead was a, a Dutch side that were content with sitting back perhaps playing for penalties and you now that didn't really work out too well in the end so it's it's the end of the road for the Netherlands the end of the road for Louis van Gaal as a as a manager and yes um well done to Argentina and Lazo uh, the highlight of the game for me was that uh that equalizer to make it 2-2 what a free kick and uh piece of ingenuity that was absolutely you know Great play by Netherlands there. Nice. That's what you want set pieces to look like sometimes, right? You've got to be cheeky and innovative. And that was just a great goal. And well done and deserving of a equaliser. Such a dramatic game for, again, different reasons. And both teams were at each other verbally, physically, um, just absorbing football and Look, it's not a classic, but it was just a battle. I found it um, interesting and maybe a, a stroke of may, more so respect, I think, to Van Hal and a tip of the hat to the Netherlands that um, uh, – a tip of the hat, I should say, to the Netherlands that Scaloni decided to start with three at the back, which became a defensive five, which definitely um, neutralised the, the Netherlands' um, wingbacks. And their ability to be able to get the ball in, from, you know, from wide and 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 um, tracking their runs. So it that was a, and I, I suspect that Van Hal didn't expect Argentina to play with a back three, and that caught them off guard, and uh, that enabled Argentina to just to be able to to control the, the tempo of the game as well. So, um, b- bit of a coaching masterstroke there by Scaloni, I think. Not for the first time this tournament. No, 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 definitely not. No. Um, I think he's proving his worth as a coach, but um, I mean he's already he's got you know Argentina have only lost one game in forty one games, so and that was against Saudi Arabia, so a slow start to the tournament, but they've been building into the tournament with each game, and it's just that that was up until the seventy fifth minute, uh, or sorry the eighty third minute I should say, uh, when Veghorst got the um. The first goal, Argentina were in control of the game. Then they kind of lost their their composure and lost their heads. And you saw from the scenes at full time as well. Um, eight yellow cards, including coaches, coaching staff, and on both sides. So there were sixteen yellow cards and one red card at the end after the penalty shootout uh, for Dumfries. We have to talk about the referee in this game, and I don't like talking about referees from the get go. 
because often it comes across as either sour grapes or, to be honest, I'd rather just focus on what happened on the pitch in terms of the, the two teams and focus on the football. I, I, I despise talking about referees, but he, he needs a mention today. Uh, Mr. Lahoz, the the referee, and he couldn't keep his card in his pocket. He does the same thing in La Liga and in Champions League games. It's not, and and I would find it surprising if both teams didn't expect that there were it wasn't going to be card heavy, right? Um, and that he does tend to make it a performance for himself. Then both teams were naive, and you're not naive when you get to this stage. So that I don't think that was unexpected from the teams because uh, you could see that he they were trying to stand you know he was trying to assert his authority on the game as quickly as he could early on in the piece you could say asserting authority i would say main character syndrome yeah sure absolutely yeah that's one word. yeah look I, I i'm not going to disagree with you there nathan i think that you know he, he tends to make it about himself at times unfortunately he might be a lovely fellow but yes um yeah i uh <sighs> Yeah, when we saw that he was going to be the referee, I thought, mm, yeah, this is uh, not a good call. Not for this type of game, anyway. And every single time a player went to ground, the whistle was in his mouth. There was no... Uh, some of it is personal preference. I like a game where it's allowed to flow and you have a bit of uh, niggle in it and you have a bit of ebb and flow and some challenges can go in and you don't flash the card every two seconds. And that's that's not the way he referees the game, fair enough, but it's just not the way I like to see it. And if you are going to referee in that manner where you do flash the cards every every so often, I'm surprised no one got sent off before Dumfries did after the full-time whistle because there were so many challenges flying in and so many people who you thought, okay, you're you're walking a very fine line here. You probably should have gone. Yeah, yeah I thought Timber was uh, one of those people. Yeah, he, he was walking a very fine line at the end there. Uh, you're in Timber and... I'm surprised he didn't get subbed. Oh, well, when most of the teams have yellow, yellow cards, yeah. you can't replace yeah. them. You know, so <laughs> That's it, true. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. But look, I mean, it, it just adds to the fabric of this World Cup, and which on the pitch has been brilliant. It, it, like, it really has. Right. Um, there's been a lot of drama, uh, which is what you want. You know, there's been a lot of good quality football. And we did say in our um, Destination Doha preview series that we thought. Given that this is happening, this game, this World Cup is happening at this time of year when you've had, um, you know, you've got Europe uh, in full swing, um, nowhere near the end of the season. They can't can be can't be complaining. It's tiredness as far as it's been a long season because they're halfway through it or one, th- you know, a third of the way into it. Um, and likewise, you know, you've had the uh, most of the Asian, well, East Asian um, uh, leagues finish in Japan and and South Korea, you know, and you've got the other leagues um, that have, you know, halfway through as well in West Asia. It's just a, you know, it's just it's just been a really good football tournament as far as the uh, the quality is concerned and the drama. It's just added to the fabric of this World Cup. It's it's been a really good World Cup from that aspect. Forget the off the field stuff for for a minute. I mean, I'm not saying to you know not not to be mindful of it, but I'm not putting that into this part of the uh, conversation here. From a purely football perspective, it's been really good. I think, yes, with that asterisk on this World Cup, there's always going to be that. And part of me was uh, kind of hoping that it was a a team that wins this trophy is one that has already won it before. Because if you're winning your first World Cup, you don't really want it to be in this in this location. I mean, you're not really going to complain if you are a country winning your first World Cup, but there's always going to be that in the back of your mind. Nathan, it's disgraceful. 
right? I'm, you know, I, I, because if we start on this, we're going to, we will go into another episode. Because, yes. <laughs> because there were even incidences to, like, you know, yesterday, a press conference about, uh, you know, a, a uh, Filipino uh, immigrant worker, a migrant worker that's uh, died in, you know, in the resort where Saudi Arabia was staying at and comments from the uh, relevant authorities in Qatar. Disgraceful, right? Like I said, we could go a, another whole episode on what that is going to happen. But anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to steer your thunder there. Uh, it's just rolled me up. It just rolled me up. I was just going to agree with you that on the football side of things, this World Cup has been an all-timer. It's up there with one of the best in, in my lifetime as far as I'm uh, as far as my opinion goes on what we're seeing on the pitch, it's just been a great World Cup in terms of the football. Um, before we move on, a little bit more word on Argentina. Um, Messi, brilliant once again, dragging Argentina through to the next stage. He was brilliant against Australia and he was brilliant again today. A word on Emi Martinez as well in the shootout. Boy, there's been some good goalkeeping action in these quarterfinals, in, in the knockout stages so far. That penalty shootout was quality. It was. It was the best shootout so far. Absolutely. And the saves that Martinez pulls off was, was just incredible. You know, fair play to him. But that pass from, that Messi pass, the assist from Messi to Molina and the run into the inside channel, instead of going around... Uh, you know, going around the outside and coming, coming, coming back in. That you know, the right wing back decides to come in the inside channel. Messi turns in. De Jong lets him turn. He plays a pass through uh, Aka's uh, legs. Incredible pass to see that, right? And the way Molina takes it, Van Dijk was stuck. He couldn't do anything. Yeah, there's only one player in the world who can play that pass. And he was wearing the uh, the light blue and white shirt of Argentina with the number 10 on the back. And even so, it had to be inch perfect. The touch had to be perfect because there was a very small window for uh, Molina to get that ball in the back of the net and he managed to do it. Thursday morning, Sydney time, I believe. It's uh, Croatia versus Argentina. Tasty semi-final, this one. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, very much so. And yeah, as I say, <clears throat> imagine if this one goes all the way to penalties. Argentina... Fantastic from the shootouts. So are Croatia. Lavakovic against Martinez. But there's a whole host of football to go in front of that. And I honestly have no idea how to call it. Because Croatia, they just know how to get the job done, as we've been saying. And Argentina, yes, they have flashes of brilliance, but they don't dominate games. For my, They don't rack up the chances. It's just moments of magic. Look, I'm sticking with Argentina to win the tournament. I think that... Um Argentina have to do it in the 90 minutes, though. They have to beat Croatia in 90 minutes. If it goes to extra time and penalties, then I look, even for Martinez's heroics and say and quality this morning, something tells me that if Croatia get it to penalties, they wanted to get it to penalties, and they'll go, look, we'll take care of you there. Because their penalty taking again this morning was absolutely brilliant. Novakovic wasn't as good. He was good. With, I mean, Rodrigo's penalty wasn't that great, but... Um, he didn't go the right way this time on a couple of penalties as compared to the Japan shootout. So where he did the three saves. So um, whilst Martinez was just absolutely brilliant against the Dutch this morning in that penalty shootout. So yeah, but we've still got um, a couple of uh, quarterfinals to talk about uh, coming up tomorrow morning, Nathan. But should we do the what caught our eye off the field? Yes, we shall. And Laz, what caught your eye today? A couple of things, actually. One, I noticed that the A-League started up again, you know, which is good. So if you can get out there to a game, get out there. But um, I, th- I think that they've put the one over the Socceroos because uh, the Socceroos had to get home to 
uh, come back for the A-League. Maybe if the A-League was off for another week, we would have got through our uh, yeah, Maybe, maybe, no? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, um, yeah, there were a couple of things of note. First is FIFA are locked in legal disputes with the Qatar authorities, would you believe? For what now? <laughs> so the FIFA have sent legal letters to Qatar's uh, Supreme Committee for and awaiting formal responses with regards to uh, issues such as the Budweiser and who aren't a sponsor, but feel free to sponsor us, Budweiser. You've got a lot of beer hanging around that didn't end up in Qatar. That's so. right. <laughs> well, I'll get to that in a second, right? Because that's the second thing that caught my eye. So, um, yeah, so uh, FIFA are sending uh, legal letters to Qatar or have sent legal letters to the Qatar Supreme Authority with regards to financial risk of financial liability that uh, FIFA may face due to the Supreme Authorities or Supreme Committee's decisions uh, surrounding beer on site uh, outside of the stadia and a couple of other things uh, with regards to um, the way sponsors have been treated in Qatar. The second thing is that with regard to Budweiser, fans have already spent 89% of what they did in uh, 2018 Russia according to uh, Visa, right? So the payment provider Visa, they're saying that they can see that, uh, eight, you know, the Budweiser zero alcohol, uh, zero alcohol beer um, has had, uh, you know, they've covered 89% of what the um, intake was from as compared to Russia, which is interesting. That's very interesting. And, and you can't say they're too drunk, they don't know what they're drinking. They're not getting drunk at all. That's right. So there you have it. Whilst the tourist numbers are down. So Qatar, we're expecting 1.2 million tourists for this uh, World Cup uh, and uh, the figure's currently at 800,000. So so there you go. How about yourself? Uh, not a whole lot caught my eye over the past 24 hours. I'll probably go for some of the scenes that I've seen uh, in Croatia. I saw a clip going around on, on the streets and yeah, just amazing scenes. And uh, we're seeing it all over the place now. Uh, all over the world, the the celebrations of the World Cup, and it just shows that uh, this is the beautiful game and the, what it means to everyone, uh, particularly as well. I'll say the Moroccan uh, scenes in in the Netherlands uh, following their penalty shootout win, and everyone going to the streets. Yes, yes, there were some who went a little bit too far and caused some damage, um, but you love to see just people getting excited and out in the streets and uh, and loving football. Actually, I saw a video. Speaking about the Moroccans, I saw a video, a drone footage on on Instagram. Um, I'll see if I can find it and put it on our uh, Instagram, uh, where drone footage has captured the streets of, I believe, Casablanca, and it's just a sea of people out celebrating the uh, victory from Morocco. So yeah, I'll see if I can find that. Um, that was uh, really, really good footage. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, Laz, who is your player of the day for the today? Mm, player of the day today. Is it a goalkeeper by any chance? It would have to be. It'd have to be Emi Martinez. I mean, look, only because of the penalty shootout, right? But Lavakovic was incredible in goal today. He deserved his Man of the Match award. Yeah, for mine, the two options are the two goalkeepers that were victorious today. And if you go Martinez, I'll go Lavakovic. I'll have the one that you don't want. There you go. They're both, they're both brilliant. And they were our main reasons to why we're looking at this Argentina-Croatia semi-final. So let's move on through to tomorrow's action. And we have two more quarterfinals headed our way at 2 a.m. Portugal against Morocco and at 6, England against France. The drama is going to be ramped up to 11 once again. Let's start things off with the earlier game, Portugal against Morocco. And wow, the uh, the, the West Mediterranean derby part two. And can Morocco pull off another upset? Led by Sofian Amrabat, 
can his team drag themselves into a World Cup semi-final? They can. I don't know if they will, but they can. Um, yeah, I, this is going to be an interesting game. I mean, like, where, where do you go with this? Like, they've just been, Morocco have just been unbelievable. Bufal, Sayic, Amrabat, like you said, Sayis in the back, Hakimi, Bono and goals, or Bono from his nickname, but Bunu as we know him. Yeah, like they've just been a, um, a breath of fresh air to the tournament, really. It's been good to see a North African nation uh, reach this stage of the, the tournament. I don't know if, they've, if they're going to be at full strength as far as physically. I mean, because that game against Spain was quite taxing on them and you could see that they were starting to pull up sore. Um, whilst uh, you have a rejuvenated Portugal. And if Portugal play the same way against um, Switzerland, Portugal will be, be a threat every time they go forward. And just I just see the quality of the Portuguese just being too much for the for the Moroccans on this occasion. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I tend to align myself pretty much with what you say there. And Portugal are, for mine, they're, they're a real threat to this tournament now that uh, Cristiano has been allowed to be removed from the starting lineup. And yes, he can still offer something off the bench, but as as we've been saying the entire way through, he's not good enough now to play 90 minutes and start games for Portugal. Now they have a different option in Goncalo Ramos, and they look a much more cohesive team, a much better team moving forward. And Ramos up front just suits the likes of Fernandes and Bernardo and uh, all the other fantastic attacking players that Portugal have at their disposal. There's going to be so many players for the Moroccan back line to keep track of. I don't know if they have it in them to go again in this quarterfinal to make history and reach the semifinal. Um, Amrabat's going to have to have another fantastic game, another blinder. And you're quite right to mention, is it too much for them? Is it one step too far? Can they pick themselves up and go again? Can they recover physically and go again? Because there was so much uh, physical exertion from that Spain game. You saw so much cramp, so many hamstrings being held and players just completely out on their feet. Can they do it? Can they rise again? If it goes to penalties, I back Morocco in. But yeah, I do think Portugal is just going to have too much in the tank and they might just edge it and go through. Yeah, I look, I think if it, if it's, I think Portugal win it in 90 minutes. Yeah, if it goes to penalties, it'll be Morocco's, but I think Portugal just uh, will win 2-1. Then we go to what I think will be the game of the quarterfinals. I'm really excited with this game. I hope it isn't a fizzer, but I, I think this game, England versus France at 6am tomorrow morning. My Lord. Les, is this game the World Cup final? For uh, for whoever wins this game? Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think that... Whoever wins this game goes on to win the whole thing. Mm, oh, from that aspect. Sorry, I thought you meant that's their World yep. Cup final. I actually think that. No, 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 no. No, I actually think whoever wins this game loses the semi final. To Portugal or Morocco? Mm. Wow. Wow, that's a big call. Yeah. I, I think that Portugal have got. So Morocco will have momentum if they go through, right? And they'll go on a motion and, and what have you. But I think if the Portuguese do a number on Morocco, there's no reason why they can't do a number on these two teams. Um, I had actually, like in the predictions, uh, said that I, I thought Portugal would make the World Cup final. Um, so it might work out that way, right? But It might work out that way. We might have that Messi-Ronaldo final that everyone's sort of dreaming about. Yeah, but Ronaldo's sitting on the bench for most of it. <laughs> but um, I'm fascinated by this game because... I'm not sure if Southgate is going to risk um, going three at the back again. Um, well, it's not a risk. I actually think it might actually suit England to do so. But does he play with three at the back so he can actually have someone tying tying up uh, Griezmann? And Because um, Griezmann has just been absolutely phenomenal in this World Cup. If you watch some of the France games back, you just realise how good he has been. Um, and too many... 
you know, and Rabiot have just been brilliant as well. This midfield battle is the one that's going to determine how the fortunes of England and France. I actually think this is going to be a, a two-all game, and it goes to penalties. For mine, like, I think Declan Rice and I think England – well, Bale's got a – sorry, Bale. <laughs> <laughs> I think Gareth, you see. Gareth and then I get Bale. Gareth, yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Gareth Southgate uh, has to, I think, stick with Hen- Henderson and Bellingham and Rice. So does that mean a back four, do you think? Just what you do with the rest of this team. Yeah, what do you do yeah. with the rest of this team, right? Because you saw how Henderson added value to the to the team against Senegal, right? Um, you know, does he play the back four? And, like, imagine now if – not that it's likely to happen too much, right? But let's say – well, the likes of Stones and Maguire – you know, trying to counter Mbappe's pace. But Dembele's not a slouch either. So what does England do here? For mine, I think they have to sit back. They have to concede the space because you're quite right to mention there, if England allow Mbappe or Dembele to pick up the ball and run at this defence with space in behind, then it can be real dramas for England and that won't end well. I think Gareth Southgate will go for a back three and revert back to type, essentially, during his England reign. And it'll be Rice and Bellingham in midfield. I, uh, yeah, Rice and Bellingham. I don't see Henderson starting this game, even though he was great against Senegal. And it'll be them trying to hit France on the counter for mine. I think I think France, because in, the way I see it panning out, England should concede the space, just because you've got the likes of Maguire in there. And um, he'll be looking to sit deep and try and contest Giroud, mainly. And because of that, England will sit deeper. There, a lot of England's success will fall on the shoulders of Harry Kane, not in his goal scoring, what he does in the box. And that's by the by. That that's that's a given. He, if he gets a chance, he's probably going to take it now that he's on the board for this tournament. It's what he does in the middle of the pitch. Is he able to hold the ball up, play in Foden or Sterling or Rashford, whoever it is, and get England up the pitch? Because this French side, they are giving up some chances. They're not resolute at the back, as we have seen in previous tournaments. And there, there will be chances for England. They'll be able to test Larice in goal. Who, I've got plenty of question marks over Larice as a as a as a goalkeeper. Yeah, you're not the only one. If England are able to get the ball into the box, into the box with some regularity, they will score goals. This will be a really enticing encounter. It might end up being a high scoring affair, but I could also see it sort of being a little bit of a little bit of a, a stalemate. I can see a nil nil. I can see a three three. Yeah, same. If you know where I'm, yeah, where I'm coming from, absolutely. I was going to say three three. I didn't want to shock you though. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. If it goes to extra time penalties, I'm actually back England in, even though their record from the spot is not great throughout their entire history. Um, but yeah, oh, really looking forward to this one. 6 a.m. Sunday morning, tomorrow morning. And wow, I think I might back France in. Mbappe, Griezmann are ridiculous so far this tournament, and they've been scoring for fun. And it's a massive test for England and for Gareth Southgate as a manager, what he does in the game. Because yes, he can set up as a 3-5-2 or a 5-2-3, however you want to call it. And that will work in the first phase of the game. But what happens at minute 60 is the big question mark for mine. What I've seen from Southgate so far is that he's not the best at in-game management. And Deschamps can get one over him. This is my only concern with regard to England. And I've been saying it all tournament that Southgate's in-game management is the concern here. Um I am going to back England though. After like, not with great confidence. Someone's got to win it. I think England will be just edge it out 
and I think it'll actually go like a two-all or a three-all, go to penalties, and England win it that way. So that was our look at the games on tomorrow morning, two fascinating games in Prospects. We'll be back tomorrow morning to have a look back on everything that's happened as well as a bit of an overview of the uh, set of games in these quarterfinals at this World Cup. It's been fascinating viewing the entire way through, and it looks like it is set to continue with two fascinating quarterfinals tomorrow morning and then the semifinals and the final. It's coming to the pointy end of the tournament and I can't wait to see how it all pans out. Les, thank you very much for joining me. Nathan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks to everyone for listening um, and your interaction uh, with us on social media. Uh, it's been great. And um, yeah, looking forward to tomorrow morning. Yes, very much so. Thank you as well to uh, all the reviews that have been coming in. We, we love to see that and all your feedback Good batter in between. Uh, we'll be with you again tomorrow morning. But for now, I've been Nathan Gould. I'm Lazarus Gramos. Take care, all. 